Welcome to episode 88 of Honestly Unbalanced, where we chat to people that try to make your life a little bit better. And this week's guest is a big name in the yoga world, Jill Miller. She's got 30 years of expertise in corrective movement that forges a link between the world of yoga, massage, athletics, and pain management. You may well have heard of her signature self-care fitness programs, yoga tune-up, and the role model method. And if you haven't, chances are you've probably used one of her yoga tune-up balls at some point in your life. Jill has worked with yoga studios, uh, athletic training facilities, corporations, hospitals. She's written for Yoga Journal, has been featured in the New York Times and all over. And she's also a contributor on the Oprah Winfrey Network, the biggest name of them all. Uh, you will love her books. She's got many. But the most, the latest one that's out is Body by Breath, the Science and Practice of Physical and Emotional Resilience. It came out not too long ago, so head to wherever you get books and search for that Body by Breath. In this episode, we talk about what you can learn about movement from children, when you know you are disconnected from your body, what body blind spots are and how to spot them, things that are misunderstood about fascia in the yoga world, uh, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this episode. Before you head off to listen, just a little reminder that we love Lifeform yoga mats. Uh, I've known the owner since the very beginning, almost. They're an amazing B Corp certified company, and they've got some really cool mats out lately, uh, or matte shades. There's like a burgundy one, a lovely sandy one, both of which are now feature in our yoga studio at home. It kind of goes with our little cottage vibe. Code HUSTLER10, all caps, H-U-S-L-E-R 10, will get you 10% off all of their mats, uh, including the new ones. So have a little peek. Uh, if you're interested in, in practicing with Holly and I, we have an online platform at thehustlers.com. Uh, Holly does her sound thing. I do my yoga thing. There's some meditation on there as well. There's live classes, plus a catalog of hundreds of pieces of content. And you can get 25% uh, off uh, for 12 months using code HONEST, caps. 25 so honest 25 all caps will get you 20 percent 25 percent off that and a final little shout out is to vivo barefoot uh, i've worn these on and off for years and then a recent injury meant i decided to wear them a lot more again and oh my god my foot feels so much stronger when i wear vivo barefoot consistently i love their new white trail trainers i forget the name to be honest of the exact uh i think they're called are they Primus, Tra Primus Trail? I think they might be called that. Anyway, they're white. They're cool. They've got great grip. And if you see me in London, chances are you'll see me wearing those shoes. Uh, and code ADAMHUSLERVB, A-D-A-M-H-U-S-L-E-R-V-B, will get listeners 10% off anything on the Vivo Barefoot website. I also just got their tracker. I remember that. The tracker shoes, the tracker forest boots, uh, which were amazing in the winter, going on a few little local hikes in the Surrey Hills. Anyway, you've heard enough from me in this context. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Take care. Because you are a parent of, I think, your children 
or look look about maybe like between five to seven correct me on that in a second very one of them is between five and seven they are six ding 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 oh perfect perfect uh the other one is nine. Oh, okay missed out on that one but i would i would love to know what you've learned from your children and what you've observed you know as someone who is obviously knows so much about the human body have your children taught you anything and made you and actually brought any had any light bulb moment through the observation of them thousands <laughs> I mean, th- th- thousands um what i mean my kids taught me how to bond i mean i thought i knew i think this sounds cliche but i thought i knew what love was i thought i knew how to bond to people um but the bond with my children and the biological need for that was so impactful on every cell of my body and being so that 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 the the ability to bond the the need to bond the willingness to bond the love of bonding that is is really the greatest lesson that i've learned from them and then watching them bond with each other also because I didn't grow up with a sibling where I had a secure bond Mm. and so watching their love develop for each other and of course my daughter will say she doesn't love her brother (laughs) but I know she does um and and then seeing I have an older daughter younger younger son and his need to be connected to her is Gosh, it's just the most refreshing and loving thing I've ever seen. Truly. I've just never seen somebody do so much to maintain their love with somebody else. It's incredible. It's so beautiful. I just watched on one of your uh, Instagram posts as well about your beautiful new book about, I think, uh, to quote your son, is his name Asher? Is that correct? Yes, Beautiful name. And he says, uh, says, Mom, I I watch you. (laughs) So children watch us too, don't they? So I wonder what, if the question's reverse, what do you think that your children are learning by watching you? Learning about watching me and my husband or learning about watching me as um, a parent or a business owner or what what narrow the question for me? Let's go as a parent. Oh, what are they learning about me? Well, that I'll pretty much do everything for them. (laughs) (laughs) They're learning. Uh, I I tell you, I'm I'm saying that like tongue in cheek and, you know, a little bit resentful and grindy right now because my daughter is home with a fever. Mm. She never gets sick. If she gets sick, she like she'll whisk through a fever in four hours and be done with it. This is the second day of a fever for my daughter. I mean, I can't remember her being sick two days in a row, maybe as a baby. So, I mean, she's got she's just phenomenally healthy. And, you know, she's asking me to do things like, Mom, can you lift the laundry basket lid for me? And I'm like, <laughs> no. So, I, and I was like, have I, have I raised you to think that I'm going to do all the things for you? Even when you're sick, you can lift that laundry basket handle, the lid. So um, what are they learning from me? Um, I, I, God, there, I don't think there is any any simple thing that they're learning from me. I think it's all very complex. I'm a very complicated person. <laughs> um, but that, uh, you know, l- l- love has no limits. That's for sure. On the on the on the physical level, like how have you? 
Because I've had this with our son in that I want to try and like build his proprioception. I've been trying to, yes. I've been trying to you know, do some core work. Baby, I'm on his seven, he's seven months old. I've been, oh, try, I've been trying to do some kind of core work in, <laughs> oh the, in the broader sense with him. <laughs> poor son. Uh, yeah, I've been working on his reaction speed. Uh, <laughs> but I've been trying to, in, to some degree, incorporate things that I would try and teach adults to him to some degree have you found that with your children at all or have you just let children be children or have you tried to bring that kind of teaching to them oh my goodness i love this question i i haven't had this question probably since they were babies so i'm just so pumped to be able to talk about this <laughs> I, you know i basically just sprinkled milk on them and let them grow you know, here's the you know, here's the milkies, and then just you know, free range. So um, I am definitely uh, one of those parents that, knowing what I know about human development and the human body and how a body self grows, uh, you just you need to give correct constraints, safety constraints, so that you know the baby's not, you know, able to fall and you know crack their you know, crack themselves open. So, I mean, within reason, um, we actually never had protections on doors or handles or corners in our house, which was weird. I mean, every other family I went to, they had the the child safety things everywhere. Mm. Um, we didn't do that. I, I definitely was around my kids, my babies all the time. And let them know what was theirs to play with and what what wasn't and that if they open a cabinet and shut it on themselves it would hurt so they figured that out and they, they learned how to open a cabinet and shut a cabinet um and you know if they were coming perilously close to a corner i'd help steer them but i really wanted them to explore space explore their body as much as possible um, never have them in any kind of restraining seat um, unless they were in the, in the car um, and I didn't wear my kid all the time. I, I mostly had the kid on the ground and let them um, let them play, play with textures, you know, fabrics, uh, textiles, surfaces. Um, yeah, I mean, when we would have, you know, babysitters or nanny come over, they're like, what? <laughs> Can I just like rope it off and <laughs> let, like, let it like, Ignore it, you know. No, it's like you gotta. You have to be there to watch so that they're, that they're safe. But my my kids had their own movement journeys. I mean, my daughter walked obscenely early at ten and a half months. We were we were oh, shocked, wow. and it wasn't because I, you know, it wasn't. I think that was just innately that that's when her body was programmed. Because my son was a, a late walker. He walked at fifteen months. If you're looking at the you know, whatever the developmental trajectories. He she was on the early side, he was on the late side. But that kid, Asher, could crawl across a room faster than a flea. I mean, we used to call him the flea. He was like, how did he get from there to there? He was so fast and he's still fast. We call him Asher Dasher. But um, so regarding that, I just really wanted to see nature take his course. And we don't live like in rustic lands. I mean, we're city dwellers. So I really had to do my best to make sure that, you know, my kids were um, able to be, you know, stimulated by the backyard, stimulated by the front yard, took them to the park all the time, and was definitely the barefoot, barefoot kids mom, um, even in the winter, because they had just developed 
so much strength and um, insulation in their feet. Also, I live in Los Angeles, so it doesn't really get that cold. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that really was the path. One of my good friends, Jean Goodman, I can't remember the name of her book, but her husband is Eric Goodman, who created Foundation Training. She wrote an incredible book that covers early childhood, uh, the first two years of development. And, and really, it is this style. I mean, I, I was probably reading blogs or articles or research and just coming up with my own you know, style of letting the kids develop themselves. Mm. Um, but she has this all laid out because she's actually, this is her thing. She's a pediatric uh, physical therapist. So she's, she's really formally studied this. I was just winging it um, <laughs> and going with my instincts. But my kids are both athletes and they're amazingly, their gross motor skills are fantastic. And and their um, fine motor skills also very, very good. I will say, like when I'm trying to teach them concepts, like for example, um, when Lila was four, I, this is actually in my book. Can I read you this bit? Yeah, please do. My book, Body by Breath. So in, in the book, I have a chapter on fascia and your sensing systems. And in the fascia and your sensing systems, I go over proprioception, which is your body's sense of, of place and placement in itself. And then I also go over interoception, which is your body's ability to physiologically listen to itself, your subtle sensing systems. And um, when, when Lila was really little, I, I wanted to see if she had a notion of proprioception and so this is a little a little box inside of chapter six on fashion your sensing systems. There's the there's the box. So there's a picture I'm showing Adam and Holly right now. There's a picture of a brain, and then there's a, there's like a hand with a finger a finger pointing skyward, raising out of the brain. This is really short. Do you know where your oh? So this title is stop, breathe, proprioceive. Do you know where your feet are right now? without looking at them? Is one closer to your midline? Is one turned out? Is one supporting more of your weight than the other? These are all proprioception impressions that your body typically keeps under the radar unless you direct your attention to them. One day, as I drove my four-year-old daughter to preschool, I decided to play a game with her to find out if she could understand the concept of proprioception. Me. Lila, isn't it interesting that if I say, feel your knee without touching it or looking at it, that you can feel it all of a sudden? Mm -hmm. There was a silence in the back seat. I checked my rear view mirror to see that she was still looking straight ahead and not glancing at her knee. Then, after about 20 seconds, she responded, Lila, pretend your brain is a finger. And just like that, she expressed the ability to move her thinking sense into her body. It could easily be argued that proprioception would say, pretend your finger is a brain. But come on, she was four. Good grasp of embodiment at an early age. So yeah, I'll mess with my kids. I'll, I'll throw down some, some, <laughs> some concepts and see if um, I can... Uh, if, if, if they are able to to grasp uh, what what I want them to grok, it's really exciting. 
Are you going to go in, Holly? I was just going to say, something I've always wondered, uh, I hope this is related, is how, how can one tell if you are someone who is disconnected from your body? <laughs> We're so uh, English. How can, how, one, can one, how can one how tell? How can one tell? <laughs> but how yeah. can, yeah. Uh, you know, what a great question. So I'm going to leap way forward. So there's a category of... There's, a, there's a, a category of body-to-brain and brain-to-body communication that I think is actually quite common in bodies, and that is sensory integration. So our body's ability to pick up on sensory cues and capably respond to them. For many bodies, especially bodies that I think are deficient in touch, or deficient in movement, the signals are dimmer. Mm. And that shows up in just clumsiness, lack of coordination, or really the inability to process movement instruction, but also sometimes movers don't always process auditory cues into their body. And so there might be another better way to awaken, especially these tactile sensory integration maps for people. I mean, that really has been one of the premises of my initial work in the yoga space, Yoga Tune-Up. I was really concerned with a uh, with the lack of what I saw in the classroom as proprioception. I saw that people had what I call body blind spots, mm. areas of overuse, mm-hmm. underuse, abuse, mm-hmm. or body confuse. And that body confusion was the thing that interested me most. Like, how come when I say, move your shoulder this way, and this literally happened to me in class the other day, I was trying to, to have my students simply retract their shoulder blades. In other words, move the shoulder blade towards the spine or protract the shoulder blade, move the shoulder blade away from the spine, spreading, uh, increasing the space, the distance between the scapula and the spine. And inevitably there's one or five students in the classroom that when you say to do that, what they do is they bend their elbow. Mm. There's, There's literally no communication from brain to scapula movers. Right. So they're instead of just isolating the scapula and moving the scapula towards the spine and away from the spine, she's bending her elbow to make that happen. And so for a student like that, for a student, it's a very interesting story because there's like a part two to the story that I discovered in the dressing room later. I'd never seen the student before. Um, so for this for this student, uh, what the fix could be, and, and it wasn't something that was in the plan for the class that day. Um, we had other things planned. What I would do is I would bring out, I had these products called a yoga tune-up ball. It's a grippy, pliable massage ball. And if I saw that a number of students were having this proprioceptive disconnection, they couldn't process visually the what I was showing them. They, they couldn't make the movement occur in their body. We would take the yoga tune-up ball and probably roll it around the shoulder blade. Um, do a few things. I would also deliberately have them bend and straighten the elbow so that they could distinguish, they could differentiate mm. movements of the scapula versus movements of the elbow. Um, and we could elaborate this on uh, you know, a lot more. 
So um, typically that will really improve the body to brain sensing. So the sensory motor map is improved and then they can get, get on with the movement. Now, when I went into the dressing room later, um, this, uh, this student was unclothed and I could see scars on her breast tissue. Now, I don't know if she had, um, you know, implants or if she had had some breast surgery, but she had some significant um, uh, interruption to her breast tissue at some point in her, in her life. And she's a young woman. And so my next thought when I saw that was, ah, sometimes there can be a very mixed signal specifically to the scapula and to the shoulder if there has been a breach um, in tissues on the anterior side of the thorax so or on the anterior chest, right? So there can be a disconnection of the motor mapping due to scar tissue, due to implants, due to um, an interruption in, in the soft tissue that can uh, really problematize our the, the proprioceptive ability. Now, I didn't know her earlier, so I couldn't say you know, previously when she didn't have scars there, um, you know, what was her scapula moving like back then? I don't know. But I, I, I always find that that's a really interesting um, association. And I do work with a lot of people with implants, explant surgery, um, post, uh, post-cancer uh, breast removal. And there often is a lot of involvement um, in uh, shoulder, neck, hand, elbow, this upper extremity relationship because of uh, of those surgeries I, I find that m- many people in a let's say an average yoga class in terms of awareness of body in space I think a lot of the issues occur that I see when their their body's in a different relationship to gravity so they're in a, a familiar shape but in a different relationship to gravity for instance if someone mm-hmm. is in warrior two most people don't have an issue of getting their arms in line with the, in line with their chest a 90 degree angle approximately between arm and side body but in something like revolved half moon, suddenly, or in, or just a, t- a forward fold with a twist and an arm extension, the angle suddenly becomes twenty degrees. The arm is way behind behind them. What would you say to students as a piece of advice for them to create more awareness of body and space in poses that are unfamiliar or in different relationships to gravity? How could it, or, or how can a teacher encourage that in their yeah. students without stopping class? Ah, well. <laughs> so uh, my dog is barking. So if she keeps getting louder, I will end up bringing her in. So what I didn't say about this exercise is first, we actually were on all fours and we were in a uh, you know quadruped position and I was their hands, her, her hands were on the ground. And typically um, that closed chain, having the hands on the ground allows for the best um, pressure feedback into the axis. Mm. So um, basically we're doing scapula push-ups on all fours, not even loaded, just your knees are bent, your hands are bent, so you're squeezing your shoulder blades together, you're moving them apart, but but she and a few others couldn't get it. So then I had to illustrate it up here where they were open chain, where their hands are in the air and they were doing the same movement. But the, the, the pattern still persisted where the other couple of people were like, oh, I get it now. Mm. And so for, for somebody, um, for somebody that it's you know still really challenging, well, you know the next thing would be um, I could have her with her hands overhead, holding onto um, a strap or onto a heavy bolster, 
and pushing the bolster up and then letting the bolster, and this would be upward rotation of the shoulder, so lifting the shoulder blades up and then allowing the shoulder blades to drop down without letting the, the elbows bend. So basically what I'm doing is I'm just, I'm changing the physical input into the limb, into the hands, into the end of the limb, and just keep trying every tactic <laughs> of, of awakening. I could also have her stand up the wall and and um, lean into the wall with her rib cage and then move her rib cage away without letting her elbows bend. So all of these would be different cue sets and they would be different gravitational um, uh, gravi- gravitational relationships and stimulation relationships through the through the hand to the shoulder to help her repattern whatever that elbow, the need for her bicep to control her movement, right? <laughs> so to, to, I need to bypass her bicep. So, so for what you're saying, um, one of the things that in the Yoga Tune Up teacher training, which was my sort of foundational course that I developed, oh my gosh, 2008, 2008? Yes, so 15 years ago, is we have this entire section called um, Change of Orientation. And so what we'll have, what what I would have the students do is I'll assign a pose. Warrior three is a great one. All right, Haley, let me let the dog in. She's going to keep her. <laughs> Dog's <name>. welcome. <laughs> Aw, bring her in. With the dog with Haley? Come on. I think so. Come on. Haley. Haley. Aww. In or out. Haley. Come on. In or out? Oh, show her. Let's see. <laughs> what Guess, guess what on. dog it is, Adam. What kind, dog? what kind of dog is it? I'm going to go Labrador. I think a sprightly she, dog. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah, we can. We yeah. were just discussing okay. what we think the dog, what kind of dog it is. She is. Oh. Oh, we're going to get a, a view okay, in there. Okay, we're going to get a Here we go. Right. Here we go. Hayley, where is she? Not yet. Hayley. <laughs> oh. Oh, 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 she's, she's like she a, a, a pitbull. That's right. Boxer or pitbull? No, Both. pitbull. It's pitbull. Hayley. Hayley, oh, she's, oh, she's, oh, she's stunning. Oh, she's so cute. Little black and white pitch. Oh. How old is she? She's walking like she would meet an older dog or just a very tired Nine. dog? Oh, she's oh. so cute. Nine. Yeah, oh. but you know, pitties are, they're, they're not like the bounding. I mean, they are when they play, they bound, but otherwise they're like, I'm just a bunch of slow twitch fibers. I'm just going <laughs> to lumber this way. Oh, you're oh. not supposed to sleep there. You know you're not supposed to go on my yoga mat. Mm. She's right on my yoga mat. She knows she's not supposed to do that. Um, okay, so we have this exercise called um, pose orientation. So change pose orientation. And so one of the exercises we do is, oh my god, I wish I had her in here. I have a, uh, I have a one of those yoga Barbies. Her name is Live, Live Better in Your Barbie. My our tagline for yoga tune up is Live Better in Your Body. <laughs> <laughs> so she's Live Better in Your Barbie. And so um, what what I do is I put her into Warrior Three shape. And you know you can you can picture it right. Yeah. You picture Barbie and you will go. And then I say, all right, now you put her in a snow globe. You shake her up. You shake her up. You shake her up. And how's she gonna land? And so, oh, she landed on her hands. So if she lands on her hands, then she's in um, a handstand with with one one hip flex, right, with one leg out. If she ends up landing on her back, same position, but she's in basically Padangustasana one mm. with an open chain Padangustasana one. Um, or sometimes she lands and um, her two feet are on the wall and then the, the flex tip is on the floor. And so she's in a closed chain at the wall. And each one of these patterns provide different feedback to the agonist antagonists of the, of the position. And it really improves the mapping of that shape. And then mm. what are the, you know, what are the, what, what's, what's 
how are the agonists behaving, how are the antagonists behaving, how are the synergists behaving, and so on and so forth. So that is a really great way, and I can reverse it, her hands could be at the wall, mm. and the leg on the floor, and the, right? So you can see it's the same pose, and you, by the way, there's like a hundred different variations. Like we've, we've figured out so many different ways to, um, to land that warrior three in a snow globe <laughs> and they love it. And then we'll do it with other poses and then we'll also decompose. So the, the thing is, is for many people, like just having your, your shoulders overhead, um, is very challenging with the scapulothoracic joint. Maybe your lats are very restricted. So every pose is an assessment pose. Every pose allows us to see, um, range of motion allows us to find these blind spots and allows us to get really curious about our students because the, the, the end point for us in yoga tune up and what i teach is not the pose the process is the pose so mm -hmm. we're really interested in each person's process of learning about their body and having these light bulb moments that illuminate these body blind spots and i was going to say it's, it's, it's I love what you said before about get you know, the different way to get that individual to explore kind of the, the scapula in that sense. I would say that like the tip for vinyasa teachers or anyone teaching more flow based yeah. style of yoga is mm. if you know you're going to be concentrating on a certain action or a certain movement or a certain sensation, do yeah. it early with those kind of exercises. Don't don't yeah. try and teach people that while they're doing lolasana mm -hmm. or, or bakasana. Get people used to that idea and that engagement early on in class and in a more in a more static initial 10 minutes yes there there is definitely a way to do it dynamically um i don't teach vinyasa i mean the reason i stopped teaching vinyasa is because i specifically the shoulder is what threw me out of vinyasa not <laughs> my shoulder their shoulders because i wasn't able to communicate um proprioceptive acumen and acuity well enough in the constraints of vinyasa mm. And I needed to, I needed to actually um, go off the freeway. I needed off ramps, and I had to do these tune-ups. And then we would get back on into the vinyasa. And ultimately, that's what became yoga tune-up. Is I needed to do so <laughs> many tune-ups to help my my students embody their body that I was like, you know what? Screw the flow. I'm just going to teach the tune-ups, and that became yoga tune-up. Your balls, your are they tune-up balls? They're obviously and they. That's, Yes, ma'am. <laughs> That's what they're called, right? Okay. Tune up balls. Well, I have, I have, there, there's four different yeah. balls. So they're all detailed in, in the, role. the role model, which was mm -hmm. my first book. So mm -hmm. the role model balls are different sized, grippy, pliable rubber balls. And the smallest of them are the, the yoga tune up balls. Mm. Um, and then the medium size are therapy ball plus. And then the, the largest are the alpha mm -hmm. and then oh my gosh i'm running all over the room the, your, ho your house things. is a pit bull's heaven isn't it <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she well, is a very happy dog she's surrounded hey. by various sized bulls well, this is actually my studio this is my teaching studio so it's another you know dwelling um <laughs> also known as a converted garage and then there's the the gorgeous ball mm -hmm. Haley is very discerning she will only go after non-role model we don't know <laughs> good girl well trained is 
Uh, it's amazing. She knows she's like, oh, that's what buys the food. So she does not eat the therapy balls. She only eats, um, you know, Clever. other balls. But I do get, believe me, there have been plenty of pit bulls that have decimated gorgeous balls because people send them pictures to me all the time on Instagram. That yeah. happened to mine. It wasn't it wasn't a pit bull. It was a rescue dog from Romania, but she consumed my tuna bull. <laughs> <laughs> I would like, I'm sorry. I would love to know about the, um, obviously they're incredible for the body and helping people to get into the body, but what about the role of emotions and helping people through emotional traumas and stresses and the use of the balls in that sense? Yeah, that's why I had to write Body by Breath. So the therapy balls, when I first wrote the role model, I did a call to action out to my student community to say, hey, how have the balls helped you to heal Please share your story. You're willing to share your story in my new book. I'm writing a book. And I got dozens of stories. And every story I anticipated was like, oh, yeah, well, rolling really helped my back pain. You know, rolling helped me heal from knee surgery or it helped me avoid knee surgery or whatever. But every story that came in had this huge emotional kernel and a huge emotional component. Everybody reported that the therapy balls and the rolling made them feel better emotionally. Mm -hmm gave them a sense of well-being, that ephemeral feeling of, I, I just felt better, right? And so, and that was true for me. Like the way I came into self-massage was my own mental health challenges as, uh, as a tween. I was anorexic and bulimic and self-massage helped me heal. It helped me find my way through my body and find my own answers. So I knew that there was value in it and um, so I wanted to write a book about not just like how the balls help you with your range of motion, but how they help with your range of emotion and specifically the self-regulating properties. There isn't a lot of research on mental health and self-massage, specifically self-myofascial release, which is, which is my um, specialty bucket. And um, although there is some new evidence that Robert Schleip recently produced um, just a couple of years ago about fascia and depression and rolling, um, rolling and depression, and you know basically it improves affect and it improves your ability to uh, to focus and um, diminishes some of the negative affect. So, and that's just that's like the only like solid research there is. There's some other um, uh, compounded research uh, on caregivers uh, who are given therapy balls to roll on um, along with some meditation strategies. So, it, you know, it's blurry, but those people that were in the massage group, um, they ha tended to have better outlook on their life than people who weren't given mm. um, balls to roll on while they're caring for people with dementia. So we have a long way to go to understand like, you know, exactly mechanism and all that stuff. But the the thousands and thousands of testimonials that I've accumulated over the years, you know, people use this work to calm themselves down, to still their body, still their mind, and literally get in touch with themselves. And so we can look at how pressure influences um, the sensory system, how it downregulates the sympathetic nervous system and upregulates parasympathetic features in the body. And, and, and also knowing that touch, whether it's, you know, whether somebody else is giving it to or whether you're doing it yourself, inducing it through a tool, um, affects limbic system 
limbic centers in your brain. And so you may have emotional responses that are not necessarily associated with things. Like you might just find yourself crying and you don't know why, or you might find yourself um, in a, a state of pleasure or rapture, um, you know, good feelings and you don't know why, or you might find yourself suddenly um, re-experiencing anger or rage and not know why. But the, the balls are tumbling over the storehouse of story in your body and letting that stuff surface again. And typically when we're rolling, I mean, ideally when we're rolling, if we're rolling in an ideal setting, other parasympathetic features are being met, meaning you've induced a significant relaxation response so that your body finally can speak and it's no longer bearing, stifling, avoiding, or dismissing the feels that arise. So that sounds like a beautiful method of self-inquiry. And my, my mm -hmm. question is related to that in that many people, when you teach a more anatomically informed style of yoga, might say that's not yoga or that's not real yoga because you're focusing more on the function of the body rather than the deeper stuff. My argument is always that, you know, the most tangible access point we have to the universe on ourself is our body. And it is a perfect vehicle for inquiry. So I guess, have you ever had that kind of conversation with people or, or that kind of feedback? And what are your thoughts on this as a, as a vehicle for self-inquiry and as, as a true practice of yoga? Um, well, it's a very, uh, 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 there's a lot of different ways I can answer that question. Um, I mean, many years ago when I had the audacity to call my work yoga tune-up instead of just yoga, mm. um, that's when I really took a lot of the hit from the yoga community. Um, also trademarking those words. Um, this was back in 2007 or eight when I, you know, attempted to, to do that trademark. So, I mean, I had those conversations way back when, and what I ended up doing with this work was I truly... I brought functional movement and massage into the yoga space. It wasn't being done. Um, and that was extremely radical, but there were so many people who were open to letting this work meet them and meet their suffering and meet their current needs, which was their bodies were in pain and they didn't even, they, they didn't know how to help themselves. But you can, keep going to doctors, you can keep going to chiros or clinicians to try to take care of you. But there are so many ways that you can manage your life stresses, that you can manage your structural stress, that a yoga pose is also going to bypass. You know, the, the tools I use were there initially to service people doing um, yoga methodology and um, yoga, let's call it yoga performance or the performance of asana, as well as um, assisting them to be able to go into tranquil stages, the tranquil stages of Shavasana um, and go, you know, go through the eight limbs. Um, you know, I just brought this radical sort of new equipment into the room and also, you know, freestyle. I kind of made up this style on the fly to help service the suffering of the people in front of me. And to me, that is yoga, like responding in the moment, being present with what is. And so I try not to um, get in a state of, of judgment about, um, you know, that this really isn't yoga or this really is yoga. I, I actually just sidestep it completely. And I say, mm -hmm. you know what, my, I, I, I'm looking at the human body. I'm looking at my, uh, my students 
who have unresolved questions about their pain or the repetition of their pain. And I want to be there to supply them education. And I'll do that by whatever means necessary. So whether it looks like yoga or whether it looks like jump rope or whether it looks like um, uh, rolling around on balls, I'm going to try to to support them in the best way possible. And, um, and you know, and the yoga space has been extremely open to it. And where, where people push back, they're not, they don't want to understand my message. And that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I might not have been open to this message when I didn't have any pain in my body either. (laughs) (laughs) One one thing I'd love to know now is kind of a slightly different direction. I don't know. What are they saying out there, Adam? No, no. I I think, no, I think what you do has been around for long enough that it is, for many people that practice yoga now in the West. for you, because you're a millennial. I mean, I'm 51. (laughs) I'm Gen Xer. You know, I was, you know, the first yoga mats we used was carp was carpet lining like there wasn't even yoga <laughs> like we're started doing so like i'm from a gi- different generation mm. of the yoga space so when i say i disrupted the yoga space it was very scary because there were three types of yoga you did and that was it <laughs> with ashtanga yango was bikram around then mm-hmm. bikram was was number three mm-hmm. <laughs> i would love to talk about a little bit about fashion now in that mm. it's I think a lot of people talk about it without really understanding it. And I, I don't claim to have a deep understanding of fascia. Uh, you, and truer words were never spoken, Adam. <laughs> I was just having this discussion with one of my research friends uh, yesterday. Uh, and it's, it's been it like, a, like, it's a buzzword. So, one, what, one of my friends, he is. It shouldn't be a buzzword. It's me, yeah. actually a scientific term. And it's he, a body part. This, 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 this chap I'm talking about, he's one of the leading yes. clinical physios in the UK. And that's Wonderful. part of what he studies. And he, he's nothing to yeah. do with the yoga world. <laughs> but I presented him with some content from how the yoga world spoke about fascia. And mm. and the, the, the way this man thinks is wonderful. I love him. He's just such a critical thinker. Mass. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, he was getting infuriated. It's like, it's just mm-hmm. not right. They're what lying. They They're what? lying for to make money. They're lying to people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was wonderful. It was, re- it was really wonderful what he's... But I... And, I, I won't do him justice if I if I try to say what he was saying. So what are your thoughts on what you're hearing about this buzzword of fascia? And what are people really misunderstanding? Oh, man. You know, fascia has become like the golden child of the body. And it, like it has all the properties of everything. And like you can just <laughs> ascribe everything to it. And it's a thinking thing. And it's a feeling thing. And it's a moving thing. And it's a, I mean, it is a lot of things. Fascia is an amazing um it's amazing web and it happens to tie everything together in our body it's the scaffolding that supports every cell almost every cell from you know foot to face and everything in between it's it's not tying your brain cells together though that's one of the places where you will not find fascia <laughs> so um you know it's it's hard to i guess it's hard to answer your question without spending a lot of time um, getting cellular and getting extremely granular. But, you know, the fascial tissues are membranous. They're also uh, webby. They are made of collagen and elastin. They are 
um, full of fluids. They are also loaded with sensory neurons. Um, but that doesn't mean that the fascia is thinking. Your brain is the thing that thinks. This is why I just maybe clear that up. Your fascia is not thinking. <laughs> but fascia it, it is peppered with 250 million sensory neurons, which is insane. Your skin is 200 million, and your eyes have 150 million. So fascia is our, at this point, our most sense-rich organ of our body. But it, it's not the thing that's thinking. Is it feeling? <laughs> clarify that. What's that? Is it feeling? Well, it's all, it's, it, well, the, the sensory neurons are what allow you to feel. Like, mm -hmm. it's not feeling. Mm -hmm. But there are cells within the fascia that do feel, right? I mean, your cells have pressure sensors. You know, almost all of your cells have these uh, ability to sense pressure in, in the environment around them. And your fibroblasts, which are the cells that create the fascial matrix, they're responding to pressures all the time, which is how your fascias adapt. Right. Uh, like for an example of that is if you are, um, let's do the couch potato analogy. Everyone loves the couch potato. The I don't think I've heard potato. that. I don't think I've heard the couch potato. You have, oh, come on. You guys have couch potatoes in England? What are you talking about? Oh, I thought there was a particular... Oh, no, let's get a caveat. I thought there were particular... I haven't heard the couch potato as it relates to fascia, but there are couch potatoes. <laughs> there are certainly couch potatoes. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, uh, Robert Schleip, who is, uh, I already mentioned before, he talks a lot about the couch potato type. So the couch potato type, you know, is the person who is not um, doing a lot of moving, not inducing a lot of movement into their body. And so in a couch potato shape, you've got a kind of a C slump of the spine. Mm -hmm. You have your uh, hip flexors typically in a shortened position. Well, if your hip flexors aren't getting a signal to lengthen on the regular, the connective tissue in that zone will become shorter and tighter and denser because the cells aren't getting a, the signal to lay down collagen in a variety of, of ways. If the only way they're being told to lay down collagen is this particular shape, mm -hmm. then it will rigidify you in that shape. And so that by the time you stand up from the couch, you know, you've got, you don't have fully extending hips anymore. So these are this is some of the ways that our, our, our body adapts to whatever it does most. And the cells within your fascia, they're, they're paying attention to the signal of movement and pressure to shape your form for you. Um, in, you know, if you're looking, if people who are listening are like, well, I really do like fashion. I like the different conversations that are out there. And Jill's kind of making fun of fashion buzzspeak. <laughs> um, let me direct you to a resource because I don't want to be a jerk about this. Um, my good friend, David Lazondak, I think has one of the most user-friendly books on fascia that's written. It's called Fascia, What It Is and Why It Matters. And it's written like, uh, an, uh, like um, an extended version of Rolling Stone magazine. I mean, it really oh, reads wow. easy. And, um, th and I think that would be the best place to start on a general book on fascia to really understand fascial remodeling, to understand what I'm talking about with the, the fibroblast behavior. Um, and, you know, secondarily to that, for those of those of your listeners who are clinically inclined, um, I contributed a chapter into a medical textbook called Fascia Function and Medical Applications. And this book, Fascia Function and Medical Applications, looks at, it actually presents topic, specialized um, fascial topics for the medical community, but the clinical community, PTs, OTs, um, massage therapists, um, and movement and yoga therapists, 
uh, or yoga teachers that are that are like, I really want to learn more. That is a great compendium of specialized topics on fascia um, for you to look into as well. But I really would like your sources to be as accurate as possible. Mm. And unfortunately, TikTok and Instagram are the worst <laughs> places to learn about connective tissue, um, but these books will also align you um, and uh, alert you to researchers and the type of research that's being done. Uh, I think th those those two are two really great resources. Of course, I would also suggest, you know, my books are very good. They're um, full of citations as well. Um, and I try to speak in, in a way that, you know, the average not average. You're not average. You're listening to the uh, Honestly Unbalanced podcast, but you know the curious mind. Um, it can really you'll be able to process this work and uh, excuse me, process the understanding of uh, fascia as a structural element, and then also fascia and the sensing systems, and that that's embodied by breath. And then the role model is a little bit older, but um, I still I luckily all the claims I made earlier when there was less research, the claims have, have held up Still true. It, by research now, which I then substantiate in body by breath. Can I, can I, and as an extension of that, that might, that might be a little bit more condensed. Yeah. Is there anything you're seeing, uh, on the Twitter, on TikTok or like, or, you know, things, things about fascia that is dangerous? Is, is there a risk that people could do harm themselves, harm themselves through a misunderstanding ah. of fascia? Well, okay, I will say that there are tool providers out there that um, have tools that they encourage people to uh, deliberately bruise themselves uh, using certain products, um, hard products, um, almost like products like to beat yourself up with. And, and that's not breaking up adhesions. That is not um, eliminating scar tissue. That's actually damaging <laughs> healthy tissue creating uh, bruising events, bleeding, bleed events, and possibly creating even more rigidity in the scar that you're attempting oh, wow. to eliminate. So, you know, scar, you can remediate scars. It takes a lot of time and you have to be uh, very, um, um, uh, you know, it's not just something that that I would encourage people willy-nilly to do in, aggress in an aggressive manner. Um, but there are providers out there who are encouraging um, some almost self-flagellating type of uh, approaches. And I don't think that that is, that's not a best practice based on uh, my knowledge and um, the knowledge of other researchers that I've, believe me, I've had many back channel conversations about uh, with. So that is something to really look out for. You should not end up with significant bruising after you've done um, scar manipulation or uh, trying to improve glide amongst tissues. You might be a little bit sore, but you should not have visible bruising or bleeds underneath the skin. Well, I've, I've never come across that. So it's, it's far more intense. Oh, really? The, so <laughs> maybe that's just the, in the US. Maybe. Uh, we have, you know, percussive, percussive therapy here, but I've never heard of anyone mm -hmm. being uh, being bruised. So. I feel like we should mm, yes. talk about a little bit about, about breath, given that your book is called Body by Breath. So how, how do you combine sure. your breath work with your body work? Ah, um, it was never separate. So it's not like I'm combining anything. It, it was always a part of the work mm -hmm. because in order for the rolling therapy to really take a hold in your body, you want to create a very relaxed parasympathetic dominant state in order for your regenerative ability 
your healing ability to come online, your recovery ability. Um, if you're spun out or sympathetically aroused or in general flight fight mode, um, a therapeutic application is literally going to bounce off you because of the rigidity in your tissues. So in order to be able to receive um, deep touch, uh, relevant touch, and helpful touch, and I'm, when I'm speaking of touch, what I mean is with the therapy balls, doing self-massage, um, you want to create a cascade of parasympathetic features to allow for healing to occur. So Body by Breath is a book that helps you to host yourself in that deep relax, relaxation state. And that relaxation state isn't easy for all bodies to achieve. Um, I came across research recently that was talking about a phenomenon called relaxation-induced anxiety. Well, while where for many bodies, stillness is very threatening. Like when their body is still or trying to meditate or lying still in Shavasana or corpse pose, that's when the pain surfaces. That's when the bad feelings surface. That's when um, not only bad emotional feelings, but literally they'll feel nerve rushes going down their legs, going down their arms, uncontrollable movement. They're not trying to generate it. It's their sympathetic nervous system saying, I'm not safe. I need to be on guard, get me out of here. And for those individuals, they need to be able to have a parasympathetic paradise too. How can we help? This is like 53% of people, by the way. This was the stat from this research. I was blown away. But you think about how many people are meditation averse. And while yoga, I think yoga attracts for the most part, the people that are like, oh yeah, I really like that stillness especially yeah. that, that dessert pose at the end where I just get to lay there <laughs> and pretend to be asleep. But not everybody is in, is in yoga practices. I mean, you have a lot of high-intensity gyms and um, other venues that, that, that never focus on parasympathetic features. Really, it's all go, 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 push, push, push. And I'm not saying that only that people who attend those places can't um, enjoy um, Shavasana. But this side of the resiliency spectrum, uh, it takes practice. And... So the book is, is full of tools to help bodies from you know, every side of the movement spectrum and every side of, of health and wellness to be able to find a practice that really does help them to acclimatize and to attenuate their nervous system to a true relaxation response, to a true parasympathetic dominant state. And I use four major tools, which is breath or breathe, roll, move, and then non-sleep deep rest, also known as yoga nidra. So these four tools truly are a compound pharmacy that help people to create uh, the ability to endure their relaxation response. Um, and so breath is just one tool to acclimate people, but breath is, is so direct. Um, and it's, it really is so easy to manipulate it and it's, it's free. But when you compound it with some of the other features that I uh, highlight in the book, and um, when you pull these things together, it's tremendously restorative. Hmm. We're on 50 minutes already. We don't want to keep you much longer because you've had a busy, a busy podcasting day. <laughs> so we're going to do some little quick fire questions now, if we could. So one of... It, this might not be quick far entirely uh, <laughs> but i know through your practices people can build resilience i think when some people think of resilience they think of grit like a, a determination to get through like a hard night in the rain or a, uh, a marathon 
how how would you talk about resilience in, in this context? Well, you can't grind it out if your tank is empty. Mm. And so the way to refill your tank isn't by continuing to spin out and run. You actually have to slow down, pull up to the gas station and refuel. Mm. And this is the refueling. Oh, perfectly put. <laughs> mm. Can you leave our listeners with one of your favorite quotes, maybe from your book or a mantra that you live by, something inspirational to finish with? Mm. In both the role model and body by breath and in yoga tune up, I work with Sankalpa. Sankalpa is something that I, I learned, oh gosh, maybe 20 years ago and has been one of the most effective tools for me. And that is a very, very deep inner resolve. And in the book, I, I re define these as mindset because I think mindset is something that people, general population can really grasp. Oh yeah, just put this in your mind. But these mindset strategies are really helpful as a top-down host to the process of embodiment because embodiment can be really spooky, especially when you start to have really weird feelings coming up from, from who knows where. So I have a number of these mindsets that I use on a day-to-day -day basis for my own um, my own anchoring and my own ability to cope with with life. Um, one that I offer people who are on a, a path of embodiment is all of me is welcome here. Lovely. All of me is welcome here. Because when you start to sort of decompose all the tension and the armoring that you've established to get through, some of the parts of you that start to speak are, they're not really that nice. You're like, wait, <laughs> if you were my neighbor, I don't know that I'd invite you over. Mm. But like, we need, we, we need, I need to listen to you. I'm here for you. All of me is welcome here. I'm here for you. Um, so, there's a lot of that in the book so that you can really host this experience. But I love all of me as welcome here. That's perfect. Thank you so much. And where can people find you? Obviously, the book is out now everywhere. We've got a copy of it. Is it it's out in the UK? Yes, amazon.co.uk. Did you hold it up before? Am I, I like can hold totally it up there now? It is. There it is. Beautiful book. Yes, I and it's here in the U.S. Double also. holding. Yes, it's available worldwide on Book Depository, and then it's available everywhere books are sold. So you can go to independent booksellers and or, or not independent and tell them please get Body by Breath on your bookshelf. Um, and of course, it's available in ebook also. Which I mean, I never recommend that. I'm a paper person. I'm you know I'm from I'm from the 70s. I like paper. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, I think any any reference book you can't do Kindle. I I read fiction and short books. On Thank you. Reference wise, you can't do Kindle. <laughs> no way. Yes, and so I can be found on my on our website, which is tuneupfitness.com. I teach classes. I have an online classroom that we started during the pandemic. We have about 250 very beautifully produced classes there, and I drop a new class every week, plus mentor sessions with our subscribers. There's also a number of courses available through my website. I have courses with uh, my good friend, Tom Myers, who created Anatomy Trains, uh, Katie Bowman, and I created a course called Walking Well, my friend Kelly Starrett uh, of The Ready State. He and I have a course there. So there are many um, programs that can really bring you into, um, into the work via an online forum, just like we're meeting across countries here. But of course, I also teach in-person events 
all over the place. Now that the pandemic is um, said to be over, uh, I'm on the road and teaching as as much as I possibly can, as much as my pa- my family can <laughs> can allow. Are you back in um, London but- any time soon? You've been to try yoga before, haven't you? I believe. Yes, I've been to try yoga a number of times. And there are invitations on the table to come back to England, but I haven't been able to commit to Europe um, or the or England um, for 2023. But hopefully 2024, I'll get over there. The closest I'll be is on the east coast of the United States. So maybe you can come visit me there and also east coast of Canada. So maybe come visit me there. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so Thank much you for your so time. Much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, you too. Honestly, I'm balanced.